Hey, welcome to the show. I'm Grant Cohn. That's Larry Kruger. This is Conan Kruger. Uh, Niners just wrapped up day 14 of training camp. I was there. Larry was there yesterday. Um, I'm wearing the merch that I made. If you want some, <laughs> nice. it's right here. Check it out. This is my face. My face, my face. I, I'm, I'm a narcissist like that. I just walk around. See the thing? I can't wear this out in public. Be like, hey, who's that? Oh, that's you. You wear a shirt with your own face on it. No. We're on the house sometimes when I'm on television. So anyway. I wear the uh, I wore the Krug Show uh, podcast T-shirt that I that I made. The, I wore it to Costco the other day. So See, what the heck? I, you know, I what? admire that. I'm gonna if you can do it, I'm gonna do it too. Why not? Why not? All right. So we're gonna talk about uh, what happened in practice today, but also big picture stuff. Like let's step back from the day to day minutia and point out the fact that 13 49ers are injured and they haven't even gotten to their second preseason game. Real quick, I'll give the full list just so we know who we're yeah. talking about. And then I want to get your take it as to like, it's happening again. This is year 10 in a row. Jimmy Ward, Javarius Ward, Emmanuel Mosley. Eric Armstead, Mike McGlinchey, Daniel Brunskill. Elijah Mitchell, Danny Gray, Jalen Moore. Dante Johnson, Curtis Robinson, Maurice Hurst, Jordan Matthews, 13 49ers. What do you, is this bad luck for the 10th year in a row? Well, I mean, okay. The only, okay, let's look at the bright spot first. Only two of those guys, Hurst and um and matthews done for the year the rest of the guys are coming back um some of them are phantom i mean i did see um curtis robinson stretching that groin out at practice on sunday so he obviously heard it in the game friday night so the brunskill one is mysterious uh to me but you know i mean as far as the just the pure number I, you know, is it luck? Is it is it how hard they go in practice? Is it somehow the training staff? I mean, I they, you know they tra- they've changed out so much of their of what they do, their processes, their people. Yeah, I'm at wit's end to explain it at this point. Kyle tried to give an explanation. You could call it an excuse this morning and said, "Look, it's just a weird schedule this year because of the three preseason games so close together. There's a lot of like two days off, three days off, and every time we come back from an extended layoff, someone gets hurt." Sort of like he's trying to say it's out of my hands. Well, I feel like every player, every team has the same situation. And your job as a head coach is to be on top of these mundane details. I know Kyle's a great offensive coordinator. He's great with the details of X's and O's, but the head coach is in charge of scheduling and sort of making sure that whatever practice plan you put together is not going to lead to a bunch of hamstring injuries, which is what happened the last week. And he's saying it's not his fault. This is the stuff that people point to when they talk about him and being a head coach. Like, come on, man. Like, find a a training camp routine that works for you. Well, I I will say this, Grant. I mean, I'm always thinking, okay, what's fair? What's, where can we point the finger? Where's what's, where's it unfair? The one situation with this is that clearly like the NFL used to go, I mean, once upon a time, 14 regular season games, six preseason games were years from that. But now we're in a point where there was a, there was a time there was, Wow, fourteen and six. Wow. Isn't that wild? That's wild to That's me. Wild. But um, I mean, it just shows how bad businessmen they were yeah. back then. Amazing. It was like what? Yeah. Um, but now we're in this period where this week's a real good example. Kyle values the two days practicing in Minnesota more so than the game, so he's holding all kinds of guys out. Um, they held out twenty guys on Friday night. I think we're they don't. The bottom line is they don't want the preseason anymore, and it's like. I, I don't know what to make of it. All I do 
you know is that there's three games tightly grouped, which is never good for a football player. But then there's an enormous amount of time between opening days. So I would say 95% of those injuries that you listed, I don't want to say it's a non-factor, but when you look at the number of days off between preseason game number three and week one, I got to believe that almost all of those guys find a way to get healthy Yeah, but in that window. Point. Back in okay, f- fair enough. I'm not trying to be like the sky is falling, but to your point, back in the day, six preseason games, many more opportunities to get injured. Theoretically, with fewer preseason games and coaches saying, I don't even want my starters to play in most of them. I mean, most of the starters didn't even play in this game. There should be fewer injuries. Instead, there's all these little soft tissue injuries that are happening uh, in practice and stuff. And a, a certain amount of them are unavoidable, but it feels like the Niners are always at like the the top end of the league, you know, like they got to find some kind of solution. Kyle, well, it's your job. The other, yeah, here's the other thing. It's like they're doing, they used to go double days with pads all the time. Now they go pads irregularly and right. they never go more than one practice in a day. So maybe the, the, the difference between their regular camp routine and what they actually go through in a game situation is so dramatically different that there almost are more injuries just because of that. Because you're ramping it up uh, and you're not really hitting every day. So now these guys are re- Reacting to the hitting that they are doing because it's also, full speed you know, hitting 15, 20 years ago when there were two a days, I'm sure there was a lot of like long grueling practices with lots of hitting. Now you do everything in 90 minutes or, or, or less. And there's a lot of sprinting in those 90 minutes. And that's where I think you see these soft tissue injuries. It's not from hitting. It's from stop starting, stop, start, you know, stop, start after a couple of days off, boom, hamstring, groin. Anyway, also, maybe it's all, you know, I would say this. If I was Kyle and I was trying to go find an equation that worked, I would start to cheat a little bit more towards the McVeigh angle of don't play my guys at all because they just won and they had a really thin roster and they won. So, you know, that's it's the debate. Would you rather get to week one rusty and healthy or hurt? But but, but ready to go. And I'd rather be rusty and healthy. It's a long year. Rusty and healthy. Here's what I would do. So the Niners have, I'm not blaming the training staff. I'm not blaming the training staff because that's easy to do. But the Niners, Kyle and John, hired these guys from the NHL. The Flyers, the Philadelphia Flyers, I believe. Okay, interesting experiment. Doesn't seem to have worked or really had had results. Why don't you just hire someone from the Rams and just do exactly what they do? Is your ego too big to do that? Like, why not? Hire the number two trainer from the Rams. Turn it over to him. That's what I would do. Or is it also about, you know, is it about is it about limiting the hitting in the practices? I don't know what the answer is, but I, I would start to copy McVeigh because the one thing that you do have, I'd rather show up in week one with a full contingent of players, especially in a sport where it's hard capped and there's limits to what you can do to replace these players. Yeah. It's like these are your players yeah. and you're going to be able to replace some. But like on paper, you can see you can't replace them all. So you better really keep make sure that you take care of their bodies and that should take precedent probably over installation rhythm uh coordination you know cohesion and all the other things that play into the equation and you, again you said most of these guys are coming back kyle has been real uh casual about reporting these injuries until today jimmy ward i don't know if he's going to be there week one and he sound kyle sounded real sober not that he sounds drunk. He just sounded really, you know, serious this morning. 
It's like, yeah, Jimmy Ward may not play week one. He missed one game last year, and they lost to Colt McCoy at home. This is serious. So they're, thought, they're also, let's be honest, as the old saying, you're only as weak as your weakest link. Well, the Niners' weakest link, if you want to say so, I mean, in my opinion at least, is that is that they don't have enough safeties. I mean, their safety depth is not very good. Yeah, so, we're going to analyze that that uh, position battle in a minute. Take a couple of questions. Adrian says, RG3 and Cousins 2.0 with Lance and Purdy. Shanahan thinks he's slick. Hey, all I want to say is <laughs> – I'm, I like Purdy a lot more after seeing him live than seeing yes. him. Yeah. Yep. Well, also, it rounds out the cheapest quarterback room in the league now has essentially a player that is like both. He's cheap like a rookie, but he's had 46 collegiate starts, so he's got experience almost like a veteran. So now you've got – yeah, and Purdy's going through this for, for the first time, but he's played a lot of football and analyzed a lot of film. And this guy was – this guy had the best passer rating in the conference and, and you know, has huge stats over 46 career starts. So I like the way the quarterback room looks. It's cheap, and, and, I, and I'll stay with my opinion going into the game. I think Purdy beats out Sudfeld, and if it comes down to Lance's out – my guess is that Purdy will be the guy, not Sudfeld. Yeah, I hope so. They're paying Sudfeld. So much better than Sudfeld. Sudfeld is so robotic. He's like, oh, drop back and throw the ball down the – oh, I'm sacked. Fumble. That's the way I look at him. But he looks good in practice, though. Sean says, the shade, you th- you, the shade you throw often eloquent and humorous when it's deserved, like the Jimmy situation, but kicking Darquez Denard while he's cleaning out his locker? Come on, man. Love your show, but do better. What I say? I don't know what I say. I appreciate the 20 bucks, but if you want to um, like criticize my tone or something, tell me what I said. I didn't, I didn't take that out of your tone. I mean, I, I will say this though. Wow. About Sammy Womack and the, you know, Darquez Denard was the starter at the nickel. And then Womack has that kind of a game. And, and now Denard probably was cut loose as a favor to him to help him find another gig. Good call. Sooner. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Hey, Darquez, you're no longer the starting nickel. Okay, I want to leave. Okay, here you go. Fair right. enough. Let's, we'll get to that. We'll get to Womack in a minute. I want to talk about Jimmy first, though. Every day, it's like, oh, someone's interested. <laughs> Niners going to trade him tomorrow, but it never happens. And I think the mystery is why. Why is there no trade market? Why don't the Niners want him? He's won so many games. Completion percent. No, the record looks good. The numbers look good. His face looks good. Uh, he's 30 years old. Someone should want him, but they don't. And I think we're, we're starting to figure it out. The report, there was a report from Mike Silver a couple of weeks ago, and then Peter King reported the same thing yesterday. And it's, it's that uh, after he, Jimmy Garoppolo signed his big extension, he ghosted the Niners for an offseason. But not just 2018, pretty much every offseason, he would treat it as, you know, me time. And he would get back to the Niners when he was contractually obligated I asked Kyle Shanahan today about Trey Lance, like, how impressed have you been with his work this offseason? And basically what he said was, it's what he's supposed to do. It's what we expect. Well, it's what they expected of Jimmy Garoppolo. And according to reports, it's not what they got. So I think if the Niners cut Jimmy, someone might sign him. Someone signed Josh Rosen. But to trade for a $27 million guy who may not even do the work, who may not do more than the bare minimum, I think we're starting to realize what the league thinks of this guy. Um, that's interesting. I, I will say this. 
I, I, I believe the report because be, I've heard that a few times from other players. We've heard it from other players. Hey, have you talked to Jimmy? Uh, Jimmy's a really bad texter. You know, I think Kittle said that and a couple different guys referenced that. Yeah. Um, at, and not just this year. I mean, over the last couple of years, we've heard, oh, you know, when Jimmy's away, sometimes he's hard to get a hold of, that kind of thing. Um, so I think there's truth in the report. I think it has his his the reason he's still here has everything to do with the contract. I, I think oh, it's no question. It's no a contract. Yeah. It's a huge contract. People yeah. will take him. I bet you there would be six or seven teams bidding for him if he didn't, wasn't making $25 million a year. So it's, oh, it, yeah, I, think, I think it's universal. Market? Nobody likes the contract. Niners, other teams, nobody wants that contract. So go that's ahead. first and foremost. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's first and foremost. I think his um, – because he is, I think, when you put him up against like a Baker Mayfield, something like that, Grant, I think he is considered like, wow, this guy's a mature leader who actually can lead. So I think there's a contradiction between, you know, is he, a, is he all in as a leader? I think he is all in as a leader. But as far as an offseason worker, his time is his time. And quarterbacks, there's a, there's two different things going on here, Grant. You know it. There's there's the over here is the CBA, how it's negotiated. And over here is like the different expectations that head coaches and coaching staffs have for quarterbacks as yeah, far as I mean, time invested. I, it just seems like if, for, if, him, if he's going to be a, a serious top 15 quarterback in the league, he's got to do the work in the offseason. He's got to care. And I think if he doesn't, doesn't that explain why he throws the same interceptions all the time? Doesn't that explain why he never really improved on the 49ers? Doesn't I, I mean I know like part of it is the injuries and and the and the the contract, but I think part of it is that this whole air of reputation of professionalism is a little bit fraudulent. That yeah, he says the right thing and he doesn't throw his coaches under the bus, but does seem like he does the bare minimum in the offseason, which is not what the best quarterbacks in the league do. Right. I mean, that to me, and I've talked about this on the radio today, everybody talks about height and weight and are, you know, hand size and all these different uh, measurables for quarterbacks. The real measurable is how much do they love the process of playing pro football? Because if they absolutely are like, this is all I know, then they'll spend the mental, the time for the mental reps, the physical reps, the wide receiver reps that, you know, I mean, and I think there's some question as to whether or not Jimmy is Jimmy just really good at football or is he totally wed to the process year round? And my guess is he's not wed to the process year round. I don't think Jimmy is. I don't think Kyler Murray is. Uh, I think Trey Lance is. And when you ask the Niners, what was it about Trey? Everyone assumes, well, it's he's bigger, he's faster, he can throw downfield. It's this. He's a grinder. He loves football. He loves. And when I asked Kyle today, it's like, it's what we expect, but it's it's why we brought him here. It's why we brought him here. Dude, can you imagine how how frustrated Kyle Shanahan must have been in the last five years? Because I'm sure Jimmy did and said all the right things before getting the contract. Then they give it to him, make him the highest paid player in the league, and he's gone. Can you imagine how frustrating that would have been for his coaches? I can only imagine. And you can't say it because that's your guy. Yeah. Right. And and coaches are a different breed. They're, they they yeah. are wed to the process yes. almost by rule and they're all in. So yes. to see a quarterback do, let's say, maybe as much as the other guys in the team, but not as much as other quarterbacks do around the league is probably disappointing. I think the other factor that has to be mentioned here, because I know from talking to the personnel, some of my friends on the personnel side, that they put it up on a board and they said, this is the t- we think we've done a good job at accumulating all these players. This is the team 
team we're going to have with the with Jimmy. This is the team we're going to have with quarterback X on a rookie deal. And I think that over, right now it's one level, but two years from now, the team that they're going to have compared to the team that they would have had with Jimmy is so, so much better with the rookie quarterback or the quarterback on the rookie scale deal that that's the that's the overriding factor, I think. Makes sense to me. Uh, okay. Larry saw this yesterday. The last two practices, there have been no fans. So the Niners are starting to install a triple option offense, which you've seen. I don't really know any team in the league that does this. And I'm allowed to talk about this because, you know, there's like the few sections, there's like four sections of practice in front of cameras that everyone gets to record. The Niners have shown this in front of cameras. So you could argue they want us to talk about this. Maybe this is all smoke and mirrors. They're not going to do this during the season. They want people to prepare for it. But right now, they're installing a triple option offense. Here's what it looks like. It's the pistol formation. You got Lance right there in that sort of like that half shotgun with the running back next to him and a wide receiver behind him. It's either Ray Ray or Debo Samuel. Lance will get the ball. He'll either hand off to the running back next to him or fake it. If he fakes it, he starts running down the line like it's college football and either keeps it or pitches it to Debo Samuel. Now there's a lot of good players here. And this to me seems schematically sound, but you don't see this. What do you think? Well, I absolutely do not think it's one of these double misdirections. Let's put, let's run a bunch of guys through a bunch of drills that mean nothing in front of right. the media, so that they're so that the sharpest among them will report it and they will get no. Thank you. To the, this to, is real. Yeah, there's too. It's real because yeah. there's too many. Um, there's too much effort and there's too there's too much uh, importance in the reps and the players' time. I mean, I think what yesterday was a perfect example of how Kyle Shanahan values the players' time. They they had an event after practice that I went to. It, they raised like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in like a ninety minutes. Well, the players were there for just a real tight hour because it's a work week, and I'm sure it interrupted their meeting schedule and. Kyle had him leave an hour into the thing and run off probably to another meeting. They're boarding a flight tonight or today to go to Minnesota. So every hour means so much. And, you know, I'm not saying that they didn't want to be there. They care about the community, but there it's, it's work comes first. So, I mean, I think that they're always very cognizant of their schedule. Um, but yeah, as far as, as the far as you know, the offense, what do you think of this? Yeah. yeah. I mean, as far as, as far as the offense, it fits their, it fits their personnel. I mean, that's about it's a it's always good coaching takes your talent and runs the offense that fits their strengths the best. They've got guys who they got receivers who can run it. They got a quarterback who can run it. They got deep speed that you have to honor. Um, they've got all the makings that you want to have big playability in that in that offense. So I would imagine it will be at least a package within their offense. And it's like. The fact that no other offense does it in the league makes it even more attractive, right? Because facing the 49ers, teams will have to do something that week, prepare for something they've never done all, all year. So all of a sudden you're going to try to do like a, a crash course on it in a week and probably you won't really get a feel for it until the second quarter of the game. That's an and if they spend three hours working on that, that's three fewer hours they have to have work on something else. And um, if, if yeah. Kyle, as an offensive play caller, knows that it puts an enormous amount of stress on the defense. Yeah. And so he's just looking to, to do something that makes teams consume their practice time and also stresses their defense out. Because maybe you don't burn them there, but maybe they're so stressed out dealing with that that you burn them in a different way. So I think it's very strategic. But I think, I think you will see it. I don't 
don't think it was phantom. I think it fits their fits their fits the the skill set of some of their offensive skill position guys. Yeah, Kyle's going to bury his opposition in preparation this offseason. And what's crazy is a lot of the opposition is going to be chasing ghosts because you don't really know what the Niners are going to do on offense this year. What's interesting is we're starting to see what the plan was. Like when they signed Ray Ray, I'm like, what? I don't get it. And now, now you see this like pistol triple option offense is like, oh, yeah, you need more than just Debo, to, someone to pitch to. Ray Ray could do it. That's perfect. I, I wouldn't want to do that with Ayuk. I wouldn't want to line him up in the pistol, but definitely could do it with Ray Ray. You could do it with Debo, and they have. I, would kinda, kinda, I, I re- guess when Kyle was drawing up stuff for Trey Lance, it was the triple option. Wow. Who knows? But I'll tell you, I, I was reading an article today online. It was ESPN or Bleach Report, and it was like the player on each team that could be traded or or is likely to be traded. One of the guys on that list was LaVisca Chenault, you know, the former Colorado running back slash wide receiver. That would be a nice addition for the 49ers if they want to take the load off Debo as that runner slash receiver. Just add a guy like Chenault and let him do some of the running. Same kind of body type. Yep, I agree. And the last thing I want to say with this is that Kyle is, gets credit for being uh, cutting edge and forward thinking. And he is. But so much of being cutting edge and forward thinking in football is knowing the past and bringing things back. And it's like they're bringing back option, triple option football. Wow, this is old stuff. This is great. And I love it because most offensive gurus focus their energy on the passing game. And Kyle and his dad are very committed to the run game. And I like that because I think that's how you win. I think I feel like pass protection. You're already at a disadvantage in today's NFL. Um, running the well, ball. Well, also if you can make team, if you can make teams make a quick decision at the line of scrimmage, yep. and you have all the elements, you got the running back slash wide receivers. You got a couple of them here. You've got the vertical speed. Uh-huh. You've got the quarterback with mobility and smarts, and you can hold that mesh point and move it around. I mean, you can give teams fits and you know put stress them out to a degree on defense that. You can burn them a lot of different ways. So I'm really you know, intrigued to see what it looks like in the midst of all the other things that they do. Agree. Official BNA Music 88 says, imagine if Jimmy was this way, but with the 14 and 31 record. The way I think of it is like his attitude is very Josh Rosen-y. And Josh Rosen didn't get drafted by the Patriots. He got drafted by Arizona. What if Jimmy got drafted by Arizona or Cleveland? I mean, he might have not had that much success. He might have had to play right away. He might have washed out and got bounced around the league. He kind of got insulated from all that. That's a good point. I don't know. And then, and, and, you know, for everybody who works super hard, there's got to be somebody in the other end of the scale and everybody in between. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't think Jimmy's some lazy dog, but he's probably very thorough and works at it when he's in the facility. But right. when he's away from the facility, he's on his own time. Well, there's guys who live it beyond that and will carry it home with them and watch film on their tablet all day and all night. And I think, again, maybe that was just my impression, but coming from New England, being uh, under Tom Brady for four years, I just assumed he was like that. It's like, okay, you've seen how Tom Brady does it. You're emulating him, right? I mean, Tom doesn't take the offseason off. I mean, he, he prepares like he's an undrafted free agent every year. Jimmy prepares like he thinks he's just the best. Or I guess, I, I don't know. That's what they said. I don't know. According to reports, Riddy says. According to reports, yeah. Riddy says I'm a Niner fan since the '80s. I've seen it all, as many have too. Jimmy ain't it. Joe and Steve know it. All right, that's enough, Jimmy, for today. Appreciate you though. We're done. We're going on to Trey. Gammon says frustrating how you pretend to be oblivious on how much you res- on how messed up your response to Denard is. Kicked when they're down. 
Guests don't challenge you, Grant. Wow, you guys are really upset about what I said. About a, what did play, I say? Play, play, play it again. What did I say it, about Dark? If it was harsh, Mark. I think I would have said, Grant, come on, man. That was harsh. Whoa. Hey, Darquez, I'm sorry. I don't know what I said, man. But if I hurt your feelings, I apologize. Uh, good luck in your future endeavors. Let's talk about Trey, Lar Trey Lance's arm slot. So Trey Lance is strange. Yesterday you were there. He's 414. That's really bad. And he'll sail some passes in the flat toward the sideline today. 11 to 14. Hit the back fence. Yeah, man. It's like, what? You're a professional thrower of a ball. Um, but then today's 11 to 14 with a drop. And he's just like super on point. And to me, I think this is a mechanical thing. We've seen him sort of drop his arm slot at times and almost look like he's throwing sidearm at times. And I think that's a problem. I think he needs to knock that off. Today, from my untrained eye, it looked like his elbow was higher. I played baseball. I, I pitched a little bit. And when you really got to throw a strike and you don't have confidence in your mechanics, you tend to drop your elbow and push the ball because you think it gives you more accuracy. But it compromises both accuracy and velocity. You don't want to do it. You, got, you can have a three-quarters release, but if your elbow has to be above your shoulder when you release the ball. Otherwise, you have no control over it. And I think that's a big thing for him. I feel like when he – he's not naturally confident in his accuracy. And when he's like, I got to get this throw, you see him kind of drop down a little bit. I think you saw it on that third and nine that was a little bit high to Danny Gray on the sideline. It's fixable. It's fixable. I, I compare it to this, Grant. I mean, I think that's an interesting baseball comparison. I think it's interesting that, like, what is the difference between the double-A awesome future prospect in baseball pitcher as opposed to maybe the same guy who's like a two- or three-year veteran in the big leagues is that it's how, how regularly you can repeat your delivery. And I think that's what we're seeing with him. We have we, we're seeing an incredible talent with a great arm, arm strength uh, and all the measurables and all the all the uh, intangibles as well. But what we're seeing is a guy that as is the mechanics because of the lack of reps is not smoothed out yet. And so he's I agree with you. He doesn't miss. He doesn't fire balls into the turf. He really doesn't. You know, quarterbacks that are inaccurate do that. Yeah. They'll fire two or three into the turf in yeah. addition to his almost always are airmailed. Yeah. So I think it is one of those things where there's so much torque and speed on his arm speed. And then yeah. if his elbow's low, the ball sails on him. Yeah. And, that, and it's just a matter of it's a matter. It's a matter of mechanics and working it through and just reps. And he hasn't had that. So I think it smooths out over time. He also doesn't seem like the kind of guy that um, – that makes the he's not making mental mistakes over and over again. Most of his mistakes seem like they're physical mistakes. Like yeah. Steve Young, most guys yeah. would say, you know what? This guy's he's got a great arm, but man, he struggles with the process and he right. has nowhere to go with the ball. Right. That's a huge problem. Uh, Steve Young told me the exact opposite. Hey, this guy does the rep, mental reps. He knows where to go with the ball. He sees the play. He sees what Shanahan sees. Now it's just about the mechanics to get the ball there on time with accuracy time after time after time. So I think we're going to see it. We see it sporadically, but I think we're going to see it consistently more as he gains experience. That's my guess. Yeah. And what I would say if I were his coach, I'm not, but as a throwing uh, coach, I would say, dude, trust your, trust your mechanics. Cause today you, you, you did and you threw the way you were coached and you look really good. When you drop your elbow, you're not trusting your mechanics, and you're saying, "I gotta get the, I gotta be precise here." No, you you are a you are a precise, accurate thrower when you let it rip. You know you can't baby it and push it. You gotta let it rip and trust it. 
And, I and think we're seeing did. the opposite in Purdy because Purdy's yeah. the opposite. Yeah. Purdy's had tons of reps. Yeah. So his arm slots always, always the exact same. Yeah. The ball comes out on time and it comes out accurately, uh, but he doesn't have Lance's gifts. Right. So if you could marry the two, you'd have like a incredible <laughs> pro bowl caliber quarterback. Look, I, I do think that Trey Lance can become an all pro quarterback. He's just a terrific project. We all acknowledge this. And this is the next thing for him to work on. Like, just stop doing the, the, the sidearm thing. That's a bad habit. You didn't do it today. Look at how good your day was. Knock that off. Let's talk about Dark Quesadart because people are upset. And I think I wanted, I, I think I understand what they're talking about. So, Dark Quesadart, the way I looked at it was D'Amico Ryan said all offseason, he's our starter at nickel. And I, I was always kind of rolling my eyes, like, don't lie. I mean, Darquez has been around. He's a good story, but he was in the practice squad last year. Hey, he's not, he's at the end of his career. You don't really think he's going to start. What they did, they never give, they never, they always wanted Sam Womack to be the starter. But you don't just make a rookie fifth round pick the starter. You have to make him beat someone out. So Darquez was always the like token vet that was never going to win this job. I mean, he was only going to win it if Sam Womack fell in his face. Well, Sam Womack didn't. Sam Womack made plays. So, Nothing personal, Darquez, but they were never really serious about you. And that's the way I looked at it. I, there's players like this in every camp who they're a starter. Yeah, until the rookie takes your job. Yeah. I yeah. mean, he, every guy, every personnel evaluator in the league knows what Darquez Denard is. He was a former first round pick. He's got some good measurables. And he, you know, yeah, he's in good shape. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a solid citizen. He's a good guy to have in the room. But there's some limits to his coverage ability. So then it was just really about, um, you know, did they could they find somebody younger, cheaper and better? You know, when you're a street free agent that's, you know, out there, I don't care if you do well or not. You're still a street free agent. That's your kind of caliber of player. And there's nothing against that. But he had gone from a first round pick to a street free agent. And now Womack was there and Womack balled out. Womack's got to be your nickel. He, if you, you, this is pro football, man. This is, you play your best players and Womack's your best player. You got to play him. And, And so when he became, when he went from first round pick level to street free agent level, there's no coming back from that. No. And what the Niners are saying is, no, actually, um, he had a little bit of a rock bottom, but now he's a starter. No, he's a placeholder till the guy you drafted in the first, first fifth round proves himself. Hey, it, that's a tough reality, but it's a tough business. And I think this was kind of telegraphed from the entire, really? Like, you drafted Womack with the intention of having him start. You just don't say that when you dra- you want him to win a job. You don't want to anoint. That's And that's a good culture thing, right? You don't anoint anoint young players they used to do that they don't anymore well, anyway. and, and they have other guys it's not just about Womack it's also about Diamador Lenore it's about Quantra's sure. night they have good they've got good depth at that spot and and I'm sure Denard is the most expensive guy of, of the group so you go with the best player who's also the cheapest player win-win and so okay enough of Darquez good luck in your future uh and good career and, he'll, and he, he he's good enough to find a home which is why they cut him now Right. Because they didn't cut him at the end. They cut him now, do him a favor, because he's going to play in the NFL this year, just somewhere else. Good point. Meanwhile, he got cut because Sam Womack looked real good. All of a yeah, sudden, he he's the Niners' best cornerback who's healthy. What would you see from him? 
Well, I, first of all, you know, I always try to, uh, you know, the old scouting saying is let your eyes tell your mind what it sees. Don't let you don't don't, you know, let your mind tell your eyes what what you're watching. So but I watched this kid in minicamp and he went from. You know, he looked like he was bouncing around the field like he was the best athlete on the field, like he owned the place, like he was the Pro Bowl incumbent. That's what kind of athleticism that he showed on the field. Uh, and then you look at his story. He went from a walk on to an all conference player that tells you he led the nation or among the league leaders in in passes defense. So, the, the you know, that's this is a special player. And now I it all makes sense to me, Grant, because I the story I heard was that whoever the road scout was that went in there and had had that region was pounding the table ferociously during draft weekend for Womack. And now we're seeing why kids, a big time talent. Well, he's passing every test so far. Um, it's important to remember though, that he hasn't faced someone like Cooper cup yet. The challenges are going to get a lot stiffer, but it's clear that he is the best nickelback on the team. And for a five, nine corner, I did notice he has really long arms and he seems to use all of the length. So that's a good thing. And what he's oh. got, what he's got, you can't teach, right? I mean, you couldn't yeah. teach. You can't teach. I mean, you ask the Niner corner uh, DB coaches, they can't teach man, man, man-to-man coverage. You either got it or you don't. This kid's got it. Plus, not only the ability to, to stay in phase with a receiver in man-to-man coverage, but also the ability to turn your head, find the ball, and catch it. That, that I don't remember. I mean, Jason Verrett can do that. Other than that, there hasn't been a lot of corners in this team that could do that. All Niner says, what does the Niners secondary look like if Verrett comes back early in the season playing like he did pre-injury? I wouldn't expect it. Uh, every couple of weeks they ask Kyle, like, hey, is Jason, you know, progressing? And he's like, no, not really. I mean, n- nothing imminent. So we'll let you know if anything changes on that. But he hasn't been practicing right they got a lot of bodies there. I mean, even though, uh, you know, you got Emmanuel Mosley, you got Charvarius Ward, you still have Ambry Thomas, you have Dante Johnson, uh, you know, the Kadar Holman has played some good man to man coverage. They brought in the kid, uh, kid, the veteran Crawley from the Saints. Um, and now you've got Verrett as well. So they got Castro Fields as well. So they got a lot of corners. And that doesn't include Womack or Lenore or Quantrez, who are all in the nickel, are playing that nickel spot. So they're pretty, they got a lot of options this year and they don't have have to force Verrett back but I'll say this anytime Verrett's healthy I want him because his feet are pro he's got like all pro caliber you know change of direction and footwork I mean he, he's he's one of a kind I thought you were going full Rex Ryan on us right there <laughs> he's got beautiful feet great feet okay oh my uh, God. let's talk cornerback depth I think it, it flows right in so the Niners DBs were destroying the Niners offense early in camp well now Emmanuel Mosley Temporarily injured. Traverius Ward injured, coming back soon. Jimmy Ward down for about a month. A uh, whole different situation. The starting corners today were Ken Crowley and Ambry Thomas. And Ambry Thomas split time with Diamador Lenore. So those are two bodies on the. Now, it, Sam Womack in the interior looking, looking terrific. On the outside, I don't know. They got bodies, but I don't know if they have actual quality depth. What do you think of. Uh, I mean, what. What position are the Niners in if they don't have their starting deep corners? Well, I mean, this is a matter of can they coach them up back there? I mean, they've they've kind of they've kind of put their coaches. They got a different safety coach and different cornerback coach, but they put these two guys in a in a situation where it's time to coach them up. Lenore was a fifth round pick. Um, you know, Ambry Thomas was a third round pick. 
Um, Castro Fields was a day three pick, but going into the year was thought to be a like a day two guy. Um, you know, so they have they've got you're right. They've got some older guys like Crawley and Dante Johnson. They've got some young kids who they need to coach up. Quantrez Knight. So I mean, it's it's they don't really have anybody who's like in their prime. That's a concern because they don't have that prime corner that they can just lean on. They, they're, you know, and most teams don't, to be honest. If you can, if you take away the top two or three guys, a lot of yeah. times you're looking at street free agents and guys who are kind of in between, a little old, a little young, and yeah. they're in that group with everybody else. Well, you I think the problem with the Niners is that these two corners they drafted last year haven't necessarily taken that second year jump yet that the Niners might have been hoping. So usually there's like a couple of guys on the bench who are young and developing. But how much confidence do the Niners really have in Lenore and Thomas? And if they don't have confidence in them, what do you what do you got? You got King Crowley? I mean, it's Jason Verrett. It'd be great if Jason Verrett could come back, but yeah, Verrett would be great. I mean, the timing, the you know, he would he would be a phenomenal thing. To me, of the group, Lenore looks like the guy who's most most able to help. Uh, at the end of the year, I would have said it was Ambry, but this year it looks more like Lenore. I don't know what's going on with Ambry, but he's not even close in practice. I mean, he's given up big time separation. Lenore at least is there. He doesn't make plays that much on the ball like Womack, but at least he's has good coverage a lot of the time. So I would look for him to be the first guy off the bench if it's not Kadar Holman, who's been getting a lot of run with the starters. Have you seen anything from Kadar? Because you yeah, saw it from I mean, Mark Delino. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 Kadar Holman's got, you know, man-to-man cover skills. I don't know that, you know, he's a press man corner. He can get right up on the line of scrimmage and try to reroute you at the line. But, him, I, you know, is he what you're looking for? No. You know, so that's that's the – he's kind of – you know, he's floated around. He's been in a few camps. So, um, you know, Verrett would be ideal. Lenore, Thomas. I mean, Thomas did some good things in the game, Grant, I thought, and then he did some bad things in the game. I thought his game was very uneven. Yeah. Surya S says, watch 2018 Georgia Tech offense. Niners can do something similar. Yeah, that is true because that's the triple option offense, right? And that's where Jordan Mason came from. So he has some experience as sort of like the dive back, the up back. Yep. I guess Kyle's been thinking about this. Yeah. Paul, uh, whose name? What's the the offensive coordinator? Who's I forget. Paul, I forget his name, but he was, they ran that triple threat. And they put a ton of stress on teams, and it, uh-huh. it does stress them out, especially if they lose sight on the ball. Callie Tremor says, as a whole, what's your take on the Niners as a team? Their, associate, their association is that's a tough one. Association with each other. Are they one unit? And is TDP a crash test dummy by seemingly running into his blockers all the time? That's two questions. One, I don't know. Were, were you in the – did you see any fraternization in the locker room afterward? I went, and there were like five players in there. Yeah, I mean, I I do think overall, though, it seems like a pretty close-knit team. Um, You know, I'll say this. Shanahan's got a pretty good run here of having teams that kind of stay together and grow together as the year goes on. Think about how volatile an NFL locker room can be. You don't see a lot of uh, fragmentation. You don't see a lot of guys going their own direction. He keeps the thing going all down the same road, which is good. He's got that Steve Kerr-like quality. Then what do you think of TDP? I do see him running into his blockers a lot. I thought TDP was literally an arm away from about a 65-yard run. He, the one where he cut it across, and he yeah, seriously – I nice. mean, that, he had a, he had nothing but green grass there. Um, you know, it's I, I, like, I like him. I think he's going to be really, really good. I really do. I think he's probably like, going to be their best back. I like him better than um, Sermon 
first play they had inside split belly zone. So you have uh, it's inside zone run. You have the fullback coming across, taking out that backside blocker. Hokit does a good job. Sermon just bounces to the left. Like, follow your fullback. What are you doing? I don't understand. I don't get Trey Sermon, what he's seeing, what he's doing. It looks worse when you watch the coaches film, in my opinion. Sermon. Dude. I think Sermon is a is a he's a back that is not used to the Kyle Shanahan usage norms. So like yeah. Kyle likes to use a couple backs, three backs, maybe four backs. You use them in a little bit here, a little bit there. Everybody gets a little run. Sermon's a volume guy who gets into a rhythm. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, he's second half and he gets three or four carries in a row and he's rolling downhill. Then he busts yeah. one. He, he, to me, is a volume carries guy to get in rhythm. And I don't know if he's ever in this offense ever going to get those the number of carries he needs to find that rhythm. Well, maybe they should trade him. Rakeem says, Conan Kruger has a ring to it. Love the show. Appreciate your work in the craft. Thank you. I Thank you, Rakeem. Right, I want to go back and talk to uh, talk running backs. You said you think TDP is the – going to lead this or is their best running back i think he's their best talent because i think he's got home run ability and he can run between the tackles and i think they like i think they're going to run a lot more this year with power i think they're going to run more power and i think he tdp's got he's got speed he's got he's 220 pounds i think he can run through arm tackles i think once he gets comfortable in the scheme i really like him okay i'm not writing off tdp at all young guy with potential i just want to say that to me Jeff Wilson Jr. has a golden opportunity right now. Elijah Mitchell's hurt. He's uh, missing time with a hamstring injury. And while he was excellent last year, 4.7 yards per carry, Jeff Wilson Jr. averaged 4.8 the year before that. Jeff Wilson Jr. led the team in touchdowns with 10 the year. Jeff Wilson Jr. is really good. And last year he was hurt. And it was a knee injury. It's fair to wonder, will he ever be the way the guy he was in 2020? To me, we didn't see him in the game. He didn't play. To me, he looks like that guy. He looks explosive and in uh, uh, camp, and it's it's a stark contrast between him and Sermon, who are splitting carries right now with Mitchell out. So I feel like this is a really, really good opportunity for Wilson. And if he stays healthy, he might be the team who leads uh, the Niners in rushing. The player who leads the Niners in rushing this year. Yeah, he. I would say he is the toughest back they have. Like if you said, you know what, you're going to have to run a back, and he's going to get starched by one of the nastiest defenders in the league. Who do you want that to be? I'll take Wilson because right. Wilson can take that hit. He'll hold on. I just have tremendous. He is a tough guy, and I agree with you. I think his his run. I mean, his body reconstruction or reshaping or whatever. He looks awesome. He looks. If you didn't know better, you wouldn't say. You'd say it's not the same guy. This guy is absolutely lean and mean and explosive. So I agree. I think that if he if they give him the only thing about him, I always factor in is the one thing with Jeff Wilson uh, Grant is that he exposes himself to injury with second effort and with running a little upright. So I always kind of factor in the injury element, which is I expect the injuries coming with him. So that's why I don't really put him at the front of the list. I don't think he can protect himself well enough to really, you know, pound the ball with all the carries we're talking about. Well, maybe he's good for 10 carries a game while he's healthy, but I don't know. I, I see what you're saying. He's, he's the guy I want to play a ball. He's the guy I want to run at the clock though. Like if I get, if I got a 10 point lead, it's the fourth quarter. It's time to run out the clock. I'm want to run Jeff Wilson. And if the, what I, I just want to linger on him. Cause I like a lot of things about him. One, he's a three down back. Ty Davis Price, I'm not sure. That that drop in the game was a little disconcerting. He's had drops like that 
Jeff Wilson Jr. is a hell of a route runner with terrific hand-eye coordination. And then one more thing. With this triple option pistol offense that we're talking about, that up back next to the quarterback technically is a fullback and has to do some blocking in certain plays. He can do that. We saw it last year. He's incredibly versatile. I really like him. I hope he stays healthy. Good luck, Jeff. Tied, uh, TDP, though, in the uh, in the pass blocking drills that I saw oh, the other day was absolutely stonewalling Fred Warner time and time again. So, you know, for a rookie to do that, that impressed me, too. TDP and Jeff Wilson Jr. have total contact courage. They are not afraid of the pain on the field. Sermon, I don't know. He hesitates a lot. I don't know why he's hesitating. What are you looking at? Christian says, what's the first question you'll ask Kyle Lynch once Jimmy is cut? <laughs> you think a little press conference about it? What took no. this so long? How did this take this long? Yeah, I mean, I I gotta think it's a trade. I gotta think it's a trade at this point. I, I where are you on that? You think it's gonna be a think it's gonna be he's gonna be cut? Because I still think they're gonna get something. The fact that this these reports about Jimmy's um, lack of professionalism, how he ghosts the Niners, is coming out now, feels like a PR preparing the fan base for the release. Hey, this is why we tried, but actually, you know. People don't want to trade for Jimmy. And it's not just because of this and this, but it's also this. To me, that's why is this coming out now? Because where's this coming from? Probably the Niners. Why are they saying it now? This is their secret, right? Because they're probably feeling a little hopeless about this trade endeavor. Unless, because the way it's like, oh, Sala's going to bail him out. Sala knows Jimmy. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe Sala knows. Like, hey, he's not going to do his, he's not going to do his homework. So, well, And the Jets don't have that kind of cap room, right? No. So there's that. That's a factor. Let's talk Charles Amenahu. His stock is up. Here's how you know. He didn't play in the first preseason game. There's like two classes of players, the guys who had that game off and the guys who didn't. He had the game off. And then in practice, he's starting every day. He starts on the end, but then in uh, third down, he moves to the interior. And today on one-on-ones, he'd be both starting guards. It's looking like he might be the new Arden Key. You've been watching him. What do you see from Charles Amenahu? What I, you know, I think this whole Niner defensive line is super, super intriguing. Okay. Now, why is that? Because the Eagles won the Super Bowl a few years ago. And what the Eagles had was not one guy on their defensive line. I think Fletcher Cox is the biggest guy in their line, but not one guy that they really had was a pure run stuffing tackle. Everybody was a pass rusher. And that, I think, is the modern NFL D-line. Uh, it's not even about – it's about – it's about you know teams want to spread defenses out. Well, there's more room for the rushers. And so the Niners are putting Alex Barrett at tackle. And you can put him any hue. You can play him at tackle. Why? Because he's 275 and angular. So I think that – and now they just drafted Drake Jackson. And Drake Jackson is 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 you – know, he's comfortable at 270. He said he was at 260, by the way, at the presser the other day. He looks better than he did in, in minicamp. I think he's, he's he probably does. a better edge rusher than interior rusher. He's and what's Kerry Hyder? He's a combo it's guy. A and, and yeah, Kim, what's Kem Diche? He's a movement guy who's kind of almost a combo guy. So yeah. I just think that they like Jordan Willis to me is noticeably larger than he's been in the past, much bigger than he was at K-State. So I just think their sweet spot for these, for these DNs are like 270, 275 and let them play them all over the line and you know you got to be able to play every spot and i think they pretty much drake jackson said that he's like hey i you got to be able to play every single spot 
And so I think that's part of their game plan is that, you know what, we'll, 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 you know, we'll play all kinds of games up front. We'll use our NASCAR package and we'll mix it up and we won't let anybody get real comfortable and get a real good, you know, beat on how to, how to block our guys. We'll move them around and it'll give us a lot of versatility. And I think that's the plan. So Amenahu, he got the night off stock up, stock down, any vet playing in the second half. And to me, the guy that stuck out was in the same position group. Someone's going to be the odd man out. They have too many good players. 53, Kamoko Ture. Um, I really like this signing. And you see him in person. What an athlete. Great shape, tall, fast. He doesn't bend that well, though. And when you watch him in the one-on-ones, he has a tough time winning around the edge because he doesn't bend and he kind of gets pushed around the, uh, the quarterback. So what he does is a spin move to the inside. And he was really, really successful with that the first week. But I think the offensive linemen sort of see it coming now and it's not as effective anymore. I don't, I'm a little down on him. What do you see from Toure? Well, I, he made that play at the beginning of the game on third and two, where he dipped the shoulder and basically he read the play, knew it was, it was going to be a short yardage run in the a gap, got over there and made the play on the running back. I think he's looked far better as a run defender yeah, I really ever believed he could. But Grant, I just think this is about numbers. I mean, okay, so let's just say for the sake of the conversation that your ones are Abukam, Kinlaw, Armstead, and Bosa. Then your twos, let's say, are Amenahue and Drake Jackson, Givens and Ridgeway. All right. Mm-hmm. Now your threes are probably Kerry Hyder, who's a personal favorite of the D-line coach, Jordan Willis, and either Kem Diche or or uh, Keem Spence. Let's just say maybe one of those guys. So I could see, you know, maybe they're competing for one spot. And then there's Alex Barrett and Teray. So I just think that's that there he's running with the fours at yeah. defensive end. And how many, you know, I, 10 deep is a incredibly deep D line. We're talking about, he's like the 14th or he's like the 13th D lineman on a 15 man position group where they're probably going to keep no more than 10. And to your point, he's more of like an edge setter run defender than an edge rusher. And the Niners don't, I mean, they have Ebukam. Like Ebukam is having a really good camp and he's a terrific edge setter for a 255 pound D end, but he's also um, improving as a pass rusher too. So, uh, yeah, Kamoko could be the odd guy out, and Menahu could be the new Arden Key. It's a very intriguing defensive line. David, thank you very much. Um, we got something that we got to talk about safety. So, Jimmy Ward could miss week one, which is bad because the last time they didn't have Jimmy Ward, they lost to Colt McCoy. The competition now is between Tavarius Moore and George Odom. Tavarius Moore got the first crack at starting today. Maybe they'll switch off. We'll see what happens in Minneapolis. It, not all competitions yield. A- <laughs> A starting caliber player. What do you make of this competition? Well, first of all, Romeo uh, Dubs beat uh, was it Dubs that beat Tarvarius off the line in the cover zero uh, early in the game for the touchdown. And Tarvarius, he got no jam. He, he, you know, he has no quickness. He's not quick. I mean, so quickness is a big part of coverage. And he's not quick. He's not a quick player, and yeah. he and whatever he whatever quickness he had after the ACL, he's lost it. I mean, he got yeah. beat off the line. He's he's arguably one of the best athletes on the entire team, and he he played the that from the trail position. He had no recovery skills at all. 
So I'm very concerned. I think I think Tarverius Moore is big, strong, fast, and cannot play. And George Odom is a special teamer. And so, you know, Taylor Hawkins is either going to be in a great position or maybe Jesse Bates will be here or maybe the pro personnel director is scouring uh, other teams' 53-man roster or 90-man rosters for, you know, maybe there's another team out there that has incredible depth at safety and they can make a deal. But, man, uh, I think they're probably looking around right now, and I bet you they're floating around with some names and some workouts because they that is the thinnest area on this team safety yeah i mean is tavon wilson available remember him last year he was getting starters reps this kind of brings up the decision to let jaquaski tart go jaquaski tart what's he signed for eight hundred thousand dollars like it feel it felt like the niners kind of cast him off because they couldn't look him in the eye anymore because of the drop pick like they're like i don't even want to look at you anymore but really you were and fine you don't want him anymore fine replace him they replaced him with a special team specialist in George Odom and Tavarius Moore, who that was just a giant question mark coming off a huge injury. So now, I mean, they probably thinking oh, we could have just had Tart for 800K. And now they're thinking, well, maybe George Odom can play safety for a week. Yikes. Oh, he better. He better because it, it ain't more. Is that too hard no. to say? I mean, oh, more, no. There's no way. He can't. No. He's not, he doesn't have any quickness. No. He ran 4 3 2. He's 6 2. He's got long arms. He's a crazy straight line athlete. But then he tore the ACL. He doesn't have any quickness. He got beat off the line. He, get, he didn't get a jam. And then he trailed that thing. He didn't close one step on the receiver. And he supposedly runs in the four threes. So I, I think Tarvarius is cut. And I think they'll go outside for somebody. Stephen Pryor says, Casa, the Niners are planning on bringing more safeties in. Who do you guys think would be available candidates? John Lynch, Ronnie Lott. <laughs> yeah. Chet Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff Fuller. I, oh, Jeff Fuller uh, Dante Hitler. I mean, he looks like he's in great shape. Dante, Deshaun Goldson. Right. Who can exactly. they call? Tony Parrish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know, Stephen. I'll have to do some research on that because this is important. Um, those are all of our topics. That's it. You got anything else you want to mention to the people, the good people? Well, um, I, I think overall, I think people have to be pretty pleased with, you know, I, you know, I'll say this. You, you weren't in the room when Marcelino McCrary Ball spoke, but Grant, this guy is something else. And he looked yeah. right at the camera and he's like, hey, man, I'm ranting, I'm ranting. But he also said at one point, I'm making this team. Nice. And so, uh, to me, I think that's going to be really interesting. You got Greenlaw, uh, Warner, and Al Shair. Then you brought in Oren Burks, and he's going to make the team. But then you got Flanagan Foles, who's playing really well. You got Curtis Robinson, who's somewhat of a special teams ace. But how, I don't think you're, you know, a guy like Marcelino McCrary Ball gets through waivers, where Flanagan Fowles or Curtis Robinson may. So I think that one that coming out of the game, if there's one guy who I thought got a roster spot that didn't have a roster spot, I think it's Marcelino McCrary Ball. And I was also very, very impressed by Jason Poe, number 62. I just think that if Brendel or Brunskill don't really step up, I'd, I'd feel very comfortable with a with an offensive line left to right of Trent Williams, Aaron Banks, Jason Poe, Spencer Burford, and McGlinchey. I think Poe 
I'd like to see what Poe looks like at center when he sets his feet, bows his back, fires his hands. He doesn't give any ground at all. And then his his quickness at the snap is crazy great. And his power and strength at the point is equally crazy great. So I, I, I mean, I know he's short and I know nobody drafted him, Grant, but don't think I'm crazy when I say I see kind of a Pro Bowl caliber player in Poe. I see a really, really good, impactful guy who can move you in the run game, and he still has the quickness against all these NFL interior speed guys with crazy great feet. So I think Poe and Marcelino McCrary Ball, uh, both those guys looked really, really good to me. Like really good. It was funny. We were we were sitting like maybe thirty feet away from each other in the press right. box, and the McCrary ball got that interception. Afterward, I just stood up and looked at you like, "Wow, <laughs> you called it." We're that pointing like, at each other. Like, that kid's and, and he's the greatest personality I've seen on this team. I mean, he's I, I got to get him on the on my on my Krug Show channel. He's just he's just all full of life and. The guy is 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 rocked up, and he can run, and he can cover. I mean, it's forty. I'm a big fan of forty, and a big fan of sixty-two. Uh, me too. Thanks for watching, everyone. Um, buy my T-shirts at forty-nineerspcmerch.com. Ten percent off CPH one. Thanks for watching. I'm flying to Minneapolis tomorrow. Next time I see you, I'll be at the courtyard or nice. wherever. I'm, I don't even know. So enjoy. See you guys.